Hello, welcome to the Science of Fiction. I'm Will. I'm Andrew. And, and I'm Chris. Who you may, if you were listening before to Burst the Bubble, you will recognise Chris's voice. How do you feel about uh, staying in this uh, underground cave for another hour? Uh, I'm I'm optimistic about the experience. Uh, I, I've never attempted to endure the the Cam FM radiation for, uh, for for more than an hour at a time. So uh, well, we'll, if, we'll see how it goes. Maybe that's the kind of radiation that will be easier to uh, to endure if you were the subject of today's show. That is probably the case, yes. Uh, as what isn't so notorious for their uh, resistance to radiation are robots Indeed. and other artificial beings and things. So yeah, we'll be talking about everything from AIs to your future companion, I suppose. Yeah, capital and lowercase c, perhaps. Um, and you know, hopefully ranging between, ranging everything in between, and and to some less, you know, humanoid, not humanoid, helpful, less helpful. And so on. Sad, unhappy. There might be some sad robots at some point. Um, do you have any personal experience with robots, Chris? Personal experience. Have you, have you, ever, have you ever been um, at- attacked by a robot in the street? <laughs> Not to my knowledge, though. Obviously, such is the nature of robotics. It might have happened, and I'd never know. Uh, it, it's possible that chads are robots. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, that's a new theory. Perhaps you could go into politics with that. <laughs> I'm not sure how that would go down. That's when you start cutting them open to check. I think things will go badly, badly wrong. <laughs> yeah, ethics committee is not so happy with that. And uh, if if they were robots, they might be a bit sad. camfm.co.uk On air and online, your CamFM. Welcome back to the Science of Fiction. That was uh, Sad Robot by Stars from their Sad Robots EP. Oh, so sad. And French. Uh, yeah, they're, 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 they're from Quebec, so I guess that's why the robots happen, happens to be singing forlornly in French. It's silly French, then. Mm, well, you know, I, I feel like the differences in French b- between... Yeah, 
Quebec French and French French for saying I'm a bit sad and I might rust. What, what, what are the words? I th- I'm afraid I'm going to rust tonight and I hope you'll come and dry me, I think is, is, one, is one of the verses. <laughs> uh, that, that is really quite sweet. You just go, could you imagine having to go and dry off your robot each night? <laughs> Uh, that is a much better situation than humans, though. You know, we're like, oh, I might die. Like, oh, I might rust, but thank goodness for WD forty. You know, yeah. <laughs> and, and replaceable components. Although I suppose, yeah. to, to, to an increasing extent, humans have replaceable components now. Indeed, yes, to a certain degree. Yeah, we're, we're working on the old brain transplant. But uh... I think so. That, that that might be a way off. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, K nine in Doctor Who, pet dog. Outside in the garden gets wet. I mean, he would have yeah. been useless if he rusted. Probably to Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How useful a companion really was K Nine? I, I, I've never, been, I've never really watched any of his uh, antics. I, I don't think he was particularly good as a companion or for ratings, but I think he had ridiculously powerful computing abilities. Yes, <laughs> but could he talk? He could talk, yes, oh, but, okay. but only in a really annoying voice, which would limit his political impact. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody would ever elect K Nine. <laughs> And yeah, that's probably why his media career fell. Because they made a spin-off series all about K9 and Friends. They did, yes. Uh, I only know of this because of Charlie Brooker. But yes, uh, was it K9 and Friends? Is that the title? I, I think so. It, it could have been something else. I have to say, my Doctor Who spin-off series knowledge may be lacking. If, if you're a fan of a Doctor Who spin-off series, write in and tell us all the different spin-off series. Because I think there's in more than one. Oh, okay. I, I only think know there was the Sarah one, Jane yeah. Companions as well. Yeah. Featuring K9, the, the, the robot dog. I think K9 was written out of that because he was too powerful, so he ends up looking, hoarding around a black hole or something. <laughs> As one does, if one is. In the closet. I think Sarah Jane and Companions was a children's BBC production. Mm. Okay, well, dear listeners, if you are particularly big K9 fans, or you are fans of any other uh, fi- fictional robots, well, or, fi- or factual robots, uh, why not write in? If you're listening on the web form, uh, if you're listening on the web, you can use the little form under the player. Uh, you can email studio at camfm.co.uk. Uh, you can text CAM plus your message to 80809, which will cost you 10 pence. Um, or you can probably tweet at someone, but the others are better. <laughs> yep. So um, before we get started, I think we need to work out how we're going to build our robots. So this, as most likely, has told us what laws of robotics we should have. There are three, which are, I think, yeah, remarkably famous laws. The, uh, the first law, a robot may not injure a human being or, through an action, allow a human being to come to harm. A robot must obey orders given to it by human beings, except for where such orders would conflict with the first law. And a robot must protect its own existence, so long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. I, I, I love the kind of qualifying clauses at the end of these laws. You yes. just read, read a lot like someone with a lot of experience with board games. <laughs> look, look, I've, I've started playing Diplomacy recently, and all the rules are, you know, except under this, these conditions and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> what, what worries me is, why aren't robots allowed to, you know... Why has it got to protect its own existence? Why can't we really... No, I've had enough. I'm just going. <laughs> yeah, number three is more of an insurance policy than anything else, isn't it? It's like if you programmed sort of your car to escape from thieves or something. It's like, this isn't, this isn't a very good idea. We should just let the cars get stolen as and when that happens and deal with the consequences rather than write malicious AIs <laughs> that are supposed to take out the thieves. Except, well, except they're not allowed to harm a human, so they would probably just run away. Also, can they economically harm a human? And therefore, <laughs> can they evade theft? Actually, Asimov t- tackles that in one, in one of his novels about whether, um, whether economic harm counts as harm to humanity. Oh, really? And also whether preventing economic turmoil um, is required by the first law. Like if the if the robot sees that uh, humanity is 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 working itself uh, into the ground through its industries, yeah. is it required to intervene by the well, third, first that's law? That's the zeroth law, isn't it? Uh, the zeroth law of robotics is that it may not may not harm humanity or allow ah. humanity to come to harm through inaction, uh, which is a brilliant law because that requires robots to make arbitrary moral choices and then enforce them with deadly force, uh, which is a, clearly an excellent programming decision. And and it's, it causes really difficult to define what the difference between humanity... I mean, the first law is quite 
the first sentence or first stanza of the first law is quite simple. You may not injure a person, but as soon as you then start getting into things like humanity or the other one, except for when in action may conflict, you go, ah, uh, how how can we stop this? You know, what if two people are holding guns at each other and you know who do you stop? And then it's got to. Make yeah. a difference. And that's what came up, of course, in the iRobot movie by, well, not by Will Smith, starring Will Smith, where they have a situation where he was saved over a small kick because he had a higher chance of success, yeah. of surviving. And, of course, that isn't the human choice. The human choice is safe for poor little kiddie winks. Mm. Uh, I guess the robot just maximised happiness, which is, yeah, which is <laughs> there's a, worse ways to... <laughs> as, as, as a measure to, uh, just, just to value, value different human lives, then that seems like a reasonable one. Except for he yeah. didn't maximise happiness because Will Smith was really grumpy about it. Oh, yeah. yeah it should have fig- if it had been a better robot, it would have figured that out. It could have been able to simulate his, his uh, emotion, emotional doubt or whatever, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, I think what it shows is, you know, you can't... So Asimov spent a long time playing with this and playing with the ideas and thinking about things, but it it's really hard to work out what rules you should apply when you're making artificial intelligence because we don't really have these rules on people and it, it doesn't work quite a lot of the time. I mean, we, we, there, there wouldn't be war if we all got along, so it's kind of difficult. And speaking of um, sort of people disagreeing, um, so iRobot is you know, most famously um, this, the collection of novels by, well, now most famously the film, previously most famously the Asimov short story collection, uh, and also the, the manufacturer of the Roomba uh, personal vacuuming, aut- you know, automatic vacuum cleaner robot thing. The company who makes those is called, is called iRobot, in honor, we assume. But yeah. doesn't, doesn't follow robotic laws, those Hoovers. The Roomba? Yeah, the Roomba is not three laws safe. That is true, yes. Yes, it can cause harm to a human. or th- Well, very often through inaction. Because, you know, if you're being held at gunpoint, the Roomba would be obliged to sort of bump against your aggressor's legs. And well, well, well manoeuvre quietly around the room to get the best run-up. And then zoom towards the uh, off- offending human. Yeah, yeah. But that would harm the human. Um, uh, yes. But that, that's where it gets complicated, because the laws don't cover situations with more than one human life. Yeah. Also, I think... Roombas have actually caused harm to humans. I bet someone's tripped over one during the night and hurt their toe. <laughs> but then so have kittens, and we all like kittens. Do we? I think there's lots of people who hate kittens. Okay, that's a fair point. Some people like kittens. But um, there was a... Um, apparently, the, uh, there's a short story by Cory Doctorow, who's one of Boing Boing's editors, uh, which is called iRobot, which he wrote because um, there was apparently some kind of uh, con- controversy about the uh, film Fahrenheit 9-11, which was named for... Um, named after Fahrenheit 451, a novel by Ray Bradbury, who objected to Michael Moore appropriating his title. And Dr. O's point was like, you know, well, actually quite a lot of fiction is basically based around appropriating others' ideas and developing them. So he, he set out to write short stories uh, named after famous sci-fi classics. So he wrote one called um, I, Robot, which was talking about a um, police state um, which would be necessary if you wanted to enforce there being only one robot in the world manufactured by one manufacturer. Um, and then he followed it up with another one called I Robot, um, <laughs> which was um, which, which is kind of interesting because it's it's, ta- it's 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 message is to talk about um, how fiction can be used to explore um, what limits we'll have to put in place, such as the three laws of robotics, uh, before we actually have to pass laws to affect people's behaviours and companies' behaviour. So yeah. the idea is basically this is kind of what I hinted on earlier: respect to fiction being a way of coming up with laws and just playing playing philosophy before you actually need to <laughs> so his iRobot story was quite weird because you, you say it describes uh, the police state you'd need 
if you were to come up with a world where there's only one robot manufacturing company? Yeah. And the answer to that is not much of a police state, <laughs> because, you know, it's it's like, for example, in you know in Britain we have, like, the NHS. Uh, right. And that doesn't require that much of a police state to prevent pesky private medical services from erupting and doing stuff. And, <laughs> and, and destroying the good work of the NHS or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it, so you'd have, the, like, the National Robotics Service that makes a functional, but not that great, but okay, you know, <laughs> yeah, democratic robot. An acceptably mediocre robot that would yeah, cause exactly. no controversy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I guess you'd, you'd have to have... Uh, uh, Police state is an alarmist um, description. You'd have to have some kind of restrictions if you did actually want to stop private enterprise um, cr- popping up and providing, you know, better robots or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it would be against the law to make a robot. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I fear this is the kind of thing where Cory Doctorow's um, extensive interest in civil liberties causes him to le- leap to these kind of hyperbole of, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> not one hundred percent accurate. Anyway. Um, to, um, mo- moving away from um, what, what happens when robots go, go right, here's a song about robots gone wrong and what we have to do to defeat them. But you won't let those 
fm.co.uk on air 97.2 and across Cambridge your Cam FM Welcome back to the Science of Fiction that was um, Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots Part 1 uh, by the Flaming Lips which if I remember is from the soundtrack to a non-existent Japanese movie Oh, I, I, I'm sure it is I, 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 wasn't, I didn't know that but it kind of makes sense I think it's a concept album which is the soundtrack for a Japanese movie which huh. explains why Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots Part 2 uh, which is immediately, obviously immediately follows that song is an instrumental number with lots of kind of like screaming and punching noises and a kind of <laughs> very yeah distinctive bass line yeah. which, I, which I really like but it's about five minutes of the same bass line over and over again yeah but and all the um, all the punching sounds are the same so Yoshimi has very consistent fighting technique I guess that, that's kind of like every fighting game ever where they only have sort of three uh, noises as they get hit <laughs> <laughs> which probably were made by someone sitting on a stool in a studio just like this going uh! <laughs> yeah um, and the consistency still there so yeah this next bit, it really, I have to admit, is um, entirely stolen from Helen Keane because I saw her earlier in the week. And for people who don't know, Helen Keane did a great Edinburgh show, uh, BBC Four radio series called It's Rocket Science, and has a new one. I think she's developing, she may have finished developing, uh, Robot Woman of the Future. And she was really keen to find out why we don't have robot servants yet, you know, because we all want one, it'd be really handy. And she thought, was it like Rocket Science where people just all went, uh, go on to the moon, can't be bothered to go back and just funny dried up but what she discovered was actually it's just that people are trying really hard they're just all really really rubbish uh, well I mean that kind of makes sense given the, the, the state of AI is pretty minimal uh, and, you know, and, and as we were mentioning earlier like you know replacement brains quite a long way off indeed yes and yeah. Asimov which is like is it Sony? So they have this little robot who's on QI. Oh, Asimo. Asimo, yeah. As- yeah. Asimov being the author yeah, yeah. Uh, confused with I'm sure there's a link there um, it's, but, like, it's pure coincidence pure coincidence and he takes like 10 minutes to walk down one step because he'll walk <laughs> up the step and he sits there and he has to think and think and think and he can like also run but again it takes him like 10 minutes to think about how he's going to run you, you suddenly realise that things we take for granted are really hard yeah. right and, and this is the kind of thing where you know what we take for granted is not having to think about that we just kind of iteratively like we know roughly what's going to work and if we stumble we, we correct ourselves so yeah so what Helen did finds out was she went in search of a robot anthropologist which is a, it's a strange subject's name. <laughs> yes, it's surely an oxymoronic to refer to. So anthropo, that's a, of humans, right? So this uh-huh. is the study of humanity and robots. I, 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 we, were, we were talking about the humanity of si- fictional robots, maybe real robots. But yeah, basically she comes up to the same conclusion that they're, they're really, really hard to make. Uh, this, this, this person has... So I went Googling for a robot anthropologist, and there's one who um, works at MIT called... 
Kathleen Richardson, and she's written a few things about it, and uh, she's even been picked up by the glorious, glorious uh, New York Times, uh, which she saw, saw there was this quote in the article, which um, was, why do we bother like studying the humanity of robots? And it was. I want to understand what it is that makes living things living, Rodney Brooks told me. At their core, robots are so uh, are not so different from living things. It's all mechanistic. Humans are made up from biomolecules that interact according to laws of physics and chemistry. We like to think we're in control, but we are not. We are all human and humanoid alike, whether we're made of flesh or metal. Basically, just social machines. Now, I don't know, but she does seem to be thinking that robots are a bit more advanced than I've got yet. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> we kind of we we have sort of two classes of AI at the moment. Uh, one where you just write a script, uh, and that's a bit. We, we consider that a rubbish robot. That's like um, chatbots or game AIs. You know, that's that's just a simple script that we've written. And if like anyone's I ever played to... a game, you'll know how many times your partner will go, "Hey, come on!" and then just repeat that for like the next ten times you need to do something. You're going exactly. Could you just have recorded three or four different versions? And if you're lucky, they have different inflections. They go. Hey, come on. Yeah. Hey, come on. It's like, this is not yeah. in- immersive. We kind of we consider those fake because we understand how they work. What, ro- um, they roll a dice and change the inclination. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, yeah there's a theory. Under these preconditions, with this with this probability, you do this thing. The end. Yeah, in, exactly, yes. Uh, and then the other class of AI we have is the kind of, the, the sort of, the learning AI that can actually conduct some sort of emergent behaviour, but is ultimately built out of pretty simple stuff, and we kind of know how it works, and we kind of know the, the limitations. That one has more capacity to surprise us, but we haven't written them well enough yet to do anything approaching sort of human-esque behaviour. There's one particularly good, like very simplest, like very like basic model for that is the uh, is the Markov chain for generating um, uh, English or other language text. Yeah. And there's uh, someone's written a, uh, a site called Garkov where he's taken um, many many um, Garfield strips and fed the <laughs> the, the, the speech through a, a, into a, you know use it to, to build a Markov model and then mm-hmm. he generates new Garfield ca- captions. Um, using a Markov, Markov chain, they're actually surprised. Like some of them are surprisingly good because yeah. I guess because they just pick up on things that Garfield actually said, yeah. and then they put it in, put it in his mouth. So it's mostly a kind of three largely unrelated things. But yeah. <laughs> but that only really works with text because I know someone tried something similar to make a number one record, and they took like all the music and shoved it through a machine, which would come up with the ultimate number one record, and it came out sort of somewhere between glitchy static and. Very glitchy static. Yeah, yeah. That, that sounds like <laughs> almost all of the music I listen to. I know, but for, for number ones, it's not. Uh, but, I mean, she does have a point. So, robot anthropology, interesting that it even exists, but the idea of m- modelling stuff, so looking at robots to understand humanity, is what we do in lots of things. You know, we basically worked out how to make aeroplanes by looking at non flapping birds. Uh, all the looking at flapping birds went terribly, terribly wrong. Yes. Uh, Ornithopters are not very good. <laughs> the, the, Ex- except in Dune, where they're everywhere. <laughs> and, and oddly, they're now coming back because we've now got the technology to build them, and they have like being able to fold your wings up to turn a corner is quite mm. awesome. You know, they yeah. they do have uses, active aerodynamics. Um, so yeah, I think it's more about pacing yourself carefully, which maybe this isn't doing. And of course, you were just commenting off air that our analogies of looking at horses haven't gone so well because our cars are running on wheels. I know. I was thinking that that had gone really quite well. Actually, we've done a, we've done a pretty good job of taking the horse concept, uh, <laughs> figuring out roughly what the deal is, and, and, then, and, and then, one of its main limitations. Yeah, and the, yeah, we, we've 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 vastly outclassed the horse at being a horse. At this that's point. true. Um, <laughs> and f- for a while, we did of course do the nice thing of putting the w- engines at the back, which was um, rather silly. Before we realised that perhaps front wheel drive was a good idea. <laughs> I was looking for the horse analogy in that. Well, horse and carts. You don't. You don't get uh, your horse to push the cart because one, they can't see where we're going, and two, it goes around in circles. Uh, <laughs> yes, but that, well, there was an analogy. It just sort of 
assumed more prior knowledge. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, so yeah, and again, Helen, this is all Helen's fault. Um, she was showing some videos of like robots. One of them was uh, this thing called. Well, if you Google for Dogbot, you find it. I don't know its original name. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll put we'll put a link to the YouTube video of it in the uh, show notes. And the best way to describe it is it looks like a pantomime horse with two people facing each other inside a cardboard box. Making a very disconcerting whirring noise. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's like totally, totally... You can't have any feelings towards it. It's not like an android. It's not something you would get emotionally attached to. It looks quite horrendous. Uh, until they then then show this video of it walking along and someone kicks it square in the side and it sort of stumbles and yeah. and it looks horribly human uh, or dog-like. Well, dog-like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. And there's another video of it sort of failing to climb up a hill uh, and sort of skittering and just doing what people do. They sort of run faster to try and hope they don't fall over. And it, it, it somehow is amazing how well it can stay up. It's a very cool piece of engineering. Like that, That is some actually really good reverse engineering of some basic processes in the human brain to go, how roughly do actual beings beings go about the process of trying to navigate some terrain and then respond adaptively to what seems to be happening whilst they're navigating that terrain. So the, the dog the dogbot is pretty damn cool in being able to reproduce that. At the same time, uh, it's tempting to look at it and anthropomorphize it, uh, but we're very happy with the fact that it's not even vaguely alive, mainly by the fact that it's possible to attach the debug console to, <laughs> to the dogbot and go, why did you just do that human-looking thing? Ah, yes, I remember. I, you know, I wrote that code six months ago. So, which makes me think uh how long will it be until we're saying fairly similar things about some basic creatures oh like, well, how de- long debugging a fly yeah ex- yeah how long will it be before we have enough like ability to adaptively and sort of real time analyze the we activity of the of. brain of a mouse and therefore say well the b- mouse isn't really alive it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's you know we mainly we we know roughly how i mean we didn't build it you know it, that was that pesky blind watchmaker bloke that we can't really find anymore <laughs> you know we kind of lost his number uh but, uh, <laughs> but the fact remains that on the same in exactly the same way as i kind of know how my dog bot works i kind of know how my mouse bot works except for it's an actual mess. Well, we we no, we have a massive understanding about Drosophila, uh, fruit flies, and we can mm. sort of make different parts of their brain light up with different things. And if you go back even more simpler, we kind of know, ev- well, we do know every single neuron in a nematode, which is like for most... There's 13 of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, I think there's a bit more about that. So, but, but so can we literally simulate a nematode and have it be No, because n- nerves aren't as simple as people like to think. They, they have processing in them, so you have to kind of get that and then they interact with proteins and receptors but having said that we do know what most of us nerves do in nematodes and we you know you can knock out nerves and cause them to like stop feeling pain in one form or another and you can there's there's loads and loads of research um and when they modify it they look for different like uh what they call behavior you know sort of behavioral types and things like that they want to then analyze them phenotypes uh except because that can be quite difficult it's very subjective Uh, i think the greatest thing i've come across recently is the development of an eigenworm do you know about what on earth is, 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 this, is this like riffing on the idea of an eigenvector yeah so uh, if you do lots of things oh. you can, if you so in quantum you have sort of eigenstates where you sort of break something down to several mathematical functions well an eigenworm is a set of wiggly lines which you combine in certain amounts so you like 5% of a slightly wiggly and 10% of a very wiggly line and you end up with a wiggle the worm go through and it's really cool oh, so this is kind of I mean, I, my, my understanding of mathematics is limited but is this kind of like you know Fourier transforms for, for the wiggles of a worm well, you, to figure out like what, what, what frequencies of wiggles you have to combine to form the worm motion yeah so basically mm. you'll have a three or three or four 
eigenworms, so three, three or four different types of wiggles, and how you combine them will be your phenotype of it. So this worm will have yeah. a one, two, and three, and four all in equally distributed, while other ones will have lots of eigenworm four. Okay, uh, yeah, sure. And so it's only means things which look yeah. completely the same to the human eye, yeah. uh, where before we like said it goes round in circles was like a thing. Uh, it's only become distinguishable and can be quite seriously distinguishable because you've got this old mathematical way of dividing them up. Okay. So it's it is quite cool how we're getting there, though. Uh, we still consider that well. We still consider them living things, and we do respect them. But obviously, we do treat mice differently than we treat people. You know, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, well, people. I mean, even outside the lab, people buy mouse traps that kill mice. Yeah. So, yeah. Whereas having burglar traps that kill burglars are probably illegal. Sure, absolutely. Um, but we're in the odd position at this point uh, that, given similar levels of understanding of mice and some varieties of robot uh, it's reasonable to say you shouldn't be cruel to mice and it's insane to say you shouldn't be cruel to the dogbot I mean Jesus you know feel free to take the dogbot apart because you can always you, we know how to put the dog back, back together again and we know you know there's no such thing as traumatising a dogbot you know right I mean I guess that's, that's the thing we, we, we understand it and we also know that it's we understand it well enough to know that it can't be traumatised um, yeah Yes, yeah, so yeah. I mean, this is this is why we have ethics committees because people like me and you are terrible working out the ethics <laughs> of experimenting on mice, which is uh, which is why we pass it on to other people who work in these sort of fields. But yeah, yeah. Ro- robot ethics—I'm sure it exists. Yeah, I mean, so so to level the playing field between our mouse and our dogbot, for example, our main thing we'd need to be able to do is to figure out how to um, undo whatever it is we've done to a mouse. Yes. So you know, we'd, we'd, we'd need, if we if we invent the Men in Black style mouse brain eraser, you know, <laughs> and become pretty good mouse therapeutic surgeons, then then you're pretty much able to do an arbitrary thing to a mouse, and then be like, and then let's make the it's, mouse state like it was. It's before. odd you mention that. <laughs> uh, so Dr. Amy Milton, who works at the University of Cambridge, is talking at Skeps of a Pump Pub at the end of this month on erasing people's memories and erasing mice memories because mm-hmm. she's not allowed to work on real people, and <laughs> yeah. they do it to erase post traumatic stress. To help post-traumatic stress, they raise their memory. Uh, so we are already doing that, terrifyingly. Um, so yeah, well, Dogbot obviously has a point. Uh, the reason for people haven't worked out why you want a walking robot is because actually you can't drive everywhere. Uh, Jeremy Clarkson tries, but the rest <laughs> of us can't. Uh, but like the other end is there are people who try to make horrendously human-like robots. They just kind of scare me. Yeah, there's, there's, there was this... Um uh, story about a, a um, an AI researcher at uh, Bell Labs uh, who lost who tr- lost a friend in the events of 9-11 and as a result decided that he would try to recreate a robot companion version, not necessarily of his friend, but recreate robot companions for people who've lost loved ones. Yes, yeah, so um, yeah, his name's Douglas Hines and his, his company's website is True Companions. Uh, but don't Google that if you're at work. Um, and yeah, it's the attempt to make an artificial intelligent companion and it, it, it's horrendously freaky and it's this thing uh, that is well documented it's called the uncanny valley which if you get t- close enough to something that looks human but just isn't there yet it just freaks you out it's just people don't like it yeah one of the most awful things about them is mainly the fact that they have nothing even vaguely resembling human behaviour. I mean, they're trying quite hard to get that. But the fact of the matter is, we still don't have that good speech recognition. You know, like, the basic components you need to build this thing are not quite there. Yeah, so, it, even if it doesn't move, you can tell... Like, obviously, human, human motion is very difficult for servos to replicate, you know. But yeah. even speaking, or listening, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> we're in the odd position of this is the guy who tried to build a car when the wheel was still kind of a prototype and was sort of ah it'll be fine it's, you kind, know, it's kind of square and it bumps a bit but I'll put a hamster in a box where you might hope for an internal combustion engine it'll be fine you know, and, and unsurprisingly that wasn't a very good car slash robot 
even worse if you've ever seen a good car slash human. Yes, but there's a movie by Disney on that. Uh, is there really? Car slash sl- humans. It's called Cars. I see. Well, I guess all, all Disney <laughs> movies are, you know, anthrop- anthropomorphic non-humans. So. Yeah, uh, and you were saying you actually read Assassin's Children by Charles Stross. Yeah, the premise of that novel is um, that, you know, uh, humans have invented, you know, various companion robots and servant robots and so on, and then died out inconveniently, leaving all these, you know, robot servants with really very little to do. But because they've all been, I mean, coming back to what you were saying earlier, Chris, about, you know, the uh, um, actually having a reasonably good understanding of why robots do particular things or AIs do particular things because we wrote them, um, these, all all, all these... um, automata are designed to serve so unsurprisingly they, they reform themselves into a kind of feudal society built around you know s- submission and like and like unquestioned authority and stuff mm, yeah and it's uh, d- did the uh, sorry, I haven't read the book but did it evoke that uh, hoary old trope in which uh, the robots are sort of taught to find independence from their servile nature because um, that would be the usual way to play out that narrative <laughs> I, th- I think like it's it's set quite a long time after you know robot society has developed quite a way. So I mean there is a there is oh, a, there's, a, there's right. a degree of autonomy, but you know. So they okay right. So they have genuinely started doing autonomous stuff. They're not just you know walking around in circles sweeping or no 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 no. They, 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 they have a fully <laughs> functional society. Okay okay sure. Um, <laughs> anyway, here, here is uh, yeah a, a, a song which will hopefully lead lead us to a less uh, involved kind of robot.
97.2 camfm.co.uk your station your camfm so that was uh robot repair by kale alden it was it was where you belong by kale alden who goes by the name of robot repair uh. for, for not particularly obvious reasons I, I, I didn't actually find anything else he's actually he's a mem- one member of the band uh, faded paper figures and i've only found this one track that he's done on as himself so see i only know this advert because it's on a lexus advert I hadn't actually seen the advert. Oh, well, if you YouTube it, you find it. Ah, well, I, I, yeah, you, I, I hadn't seen it before I discovered the song. Oh, okay, so you have seen it now. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, so the reason we sort of played that was it links into, we were talking about the Uncanny Valley, and of course there are other robots, there are robots very much around today, and they build our cars. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're awesome. They, they generally have one arm, but the, we do still anthropomorphise them. It's really weird. You know, they yeah. don't look anything like human. But uh, Iron Man, there's one which has a fire extinguisher. Uh, movie and it's hilarious. It 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 really has a good banter with uh, the lead actor, <laughs> obviously Iron Man, who's um, Robert Downey Jr. Thank you. I just had a mental blank. And uh, yeah, it's it's incredible to see how we can bond to these things. But it also the great thing is it shows that we can avoid this whole uncanny valley thing by just not trying to make things look like yeah. people. Right. It's quite weird as well because these are the robots with absolutely none of the robot characteristics like, as it, they don't have any intelligence at all they are just things that are scripted to operate a bunch of tools in an order right. but they get the title robot by being kind of complicated tools I th- well I think isn't that probably more robot means where a lot of people confuse robot with artificial AI Right, well, uh, I suppose to call something a robot, like I, it's just about legitimate, I think, to call uh, a Roomba a robotic vacuum cleaner. Robotic, the, but not robot, maybe. Uh, well, sure. Yeah. Maybe. Well, uh, because the interesting thing is, and this leads, thank you for leading me directly into my next point, of course, is Star Wars, and it has droids. Hmm. Which, in droid, just comes from the word Android, where we think it does. Uh, it's, everyone assumes that's where it comes from. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it, it has Android means something that looks like... like um, Apology, Android like is something human. human-like. Yeah. Uh, which is odd, because quite a lot of droids in Star Wars aren't human-like. Are there any apart from C-3PO who do? Oh, l- loads of other droids that look like C-3PO. Uh, yeah, and there's some, like of those ones that, some of those ones that get hired to assassinate uh, Han Solo uh, are kind of humanoid. Yes. Okay. Yeah, well, you can see them for about five seconds. It's not. See, the trouble is, there aren't that many droids you see in the original three movies... Yeah, uh, they and, were really expensive to make. So. Yeah, uh, whereas we go to the prequels, every single member of the droid army, those little guys with a Roger Roger. Uh, they, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So th- th- these, these are shudders of a man who has ex- expressed yeah. off air his severe distaste for subsequent Star Wars. Well, yeah, I don't know about a severe distaste. I have a kind of I have slight that, distaste. I have that five out of ten kind of reaction to the Star Wars prequels. Uh, okay. So it's a, you know, it's it's not the horrible vitriol of it's it's just lots and lots of uh, you know. Another you just don't one. see why they made it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know those. Films well, you know you why get... I made it. It was cash check. <laughs> yeah. You know those films you get half an hour into and go, I could walk out. I could go and have a sandwich. I'd probably enjoy that more than the rest of the film. You know, it's it's that kind of thing. But yeah, the, the droid army had the they they got handed all the slapstick basically. They were yeah. like, big battle scene. Let's make sure we got full steam ahead on the sort of campy seventies style comedy. And <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing I remember it's in the second prequel, uh, the uh, love movie uh, Attack of the Clones. <laughs> Still, pretend that so many times it still makes me shudder that he could call it that. Um, where C3PO swaps head with one of the robots for war droid things. Oh, yeah. And uh, that is a plug and play on an extreme level. You know, <laughs> the, the wiring involved in making a robot, you would have thought that swapping heads would be slightly more difficult than we're getting knocked off. Although we did talk on a previous show about uh, a crazy researcher swapping the heads of a dog. So uh, yes. it, didn't, it didn't last very long, but. 
But, <laughs> but the thing is, nerves do rewire themselves because you can, you know, we're not there yet. But the idea when you yeah. put someone's hand back on, it takes a while, but the nerves grow back in place. If you could cope with rejection issues, presumably someone else's hand would work in place of your own. So maybe that's what they do. They got also bug fixing when they take wrong head, but we we'll go with it. <laughs> and you probably also wouldn't put that many uh, important components of a robot in its head. Like oh, yeah, you, you would put its brain probably in its chest just because that's big. That's a re- you know, especially a battle droid. Yeah, I mean, the only reason why our our brains are in our heads uh, is because they're near to our eyes, and because nerves are terrible pieces of electrical engineering uh, <laughs> compared to actual like copper tracks. You know, it's like it's, so. Are, are you advocating moving the eyes or the brain, and then, uh, and then replacing the? It's nerves useful to the have copper. the eyes up high because it means we can you know see over stuff. So, oh, I see. You know, but if we use copper rather than nerves, we could have telescoping eyes, periscoping eyes, or something. Yeah, exactly. Or eyes in one eye in but each. Some hand. animals do have. Um, periscoping eyes you know snails and slugs yes that's but true, I guess yeah. they're, they're not very long they don't have very big brains but they're still, yeah they're still <laughs> they're still as close as you can reasonably get them to the brain uh, without without the brain being really impractically located uh, like yeah you, so yes we could have periscoping eyes if the periscopes were too long your brain would also need to be sort of suspended above your head uh, in some sort of horrible hovering ganglion thing and it would be very easy to like assassinate people and things like that because you'd be able to just run past them and go yoink <laughs> well, of course the other problem is evolution doesn't work at, always as people think so our eyes have ended up where they have for probably a completely different previous reason then we moved into a different niche so like animals which have eyes on the side of their head to be able because they're going to get eaten and want to be able to see behind them but they were evolved from the same thing where we did where we put the eyes on the front so we could actually judge distances when we want to jump on the same animal and eat it um yes so you get these things which doesn't mean necessarily the best way it's the way it solve the problem uh, indeed yes well apparently the original eye uh, is formed from a collapsed piece of brain in that there was there was a creature of some kind with a brain that just sort of had a, a frontal lobe where before there were eyes and then to a degree there was just kind of some exposure of sort of neural elements um, mm. which could do a bit like not a lot because they well, weren't, weren't designed sensitive. for the purpose designed but you know yes <laughs> uh, but, but, but there was sort of an interference of a sort from, yeah, from exactly, the world yeah. and like, oh okay this seems to work just a vague degree of I think I can perceive that it's a bit lighter than it is due to like a bit worse a headache than usual which is probably <laughs> related to the hole in my skull yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, it takes trip hunting to a whole new level. But I guess there's kind of a point here about, you know, it's, it's weird to spend so much time trying to make uh, humanoid robots when we've kind of, we understand hu- what bits of humans are bad bad design um, quite well. <laughs> yes. um, which, which I guess is why, you know, the military is not that interested in humanoid robots. Well, the, no. the most successful military robots is probably UAVs. These flying uh, vehicles, aren't yes. they? Yeah. I know they're not robotic. Well, yeah. this is more for political reasons, isn't it? People don't like not people firing triggers of bombs. Well, probably also for practical reasons, because armies don't like not people authorising the deployment of weapons. Because yeah, I mean, right. if you've got an armed UAV, you really don't want to give that thing like a dodgy algorithm that probably finds somebody you want to attack and then probably kills them. You, I mean, know, you, want, you want a human to verify that before you actually murder someone. So, so I actually read a couple of um, interesting short, short stories which, which, which touched on this recently. Uh, one of them is um, by Alistair Reynolds from his collection Zima Blue, more or much later, um, which where a um, military, um, an autonomous military machine realizes that it's better off bargaining with the other robots it's about to kill and mm-hmm. you know, exchanging technology or you know trading yeah. rather than killing them um, and using its weaponry as a uh, incentive, of course. And then <laughs> another by uh, uh, Peter Watts. I can't remember the title of either of these, unfortunately. Um, where his isn't uh, Enola the Zima Blue one? That's right. Enola is the um, Alistair Reynolds one. The uh, P- uh, Peter Watts one. I'll look up later. But it's uh, about a. Um, 
a UAV which has a small amount of judgment um, programmed into it. So that, you know, if, if it's been authorized to strike on this thing and now it's gone autonomous so it can't be stopped, um, and then it realizes there are loads of school children around the building it's going to bomb, yeah. then they want it to be able to exercise judgment and decide, okay, this mission is not that important compared to the, um, you know, the, the, the cost of killing all these children. Unfortunately, you know, of course there's a twist that the robot... Did, develops um, a conscience as a result of yeah. this. But this is quite interesting. <laughs> and th- this is what always happens. This yeah. is something that Star Trek, uh, sorry, Star Wars brings up a bit, is um, that R2-D2 is a bit of an eccentric robot because he's never, ever been memory wiped. And they talk often about how he should memory wipe the droids. But yeah. it is a way of forcing, stopping sentience appearing in them, which is quite a nasty idea. It is basically enslaving. It's something that is actually talked about in some of the fi- Star Wars fiction. Is Is this actually morally right to basically... Because you want them yeah. free-thinking enough that they... They're more than just a machine. But you don't want so free thinking that they go, right, I'm leaving. I, I don't like the pay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. <laughs> uh, Again, it, it, it's hard to feel too bad for them when you, you know how to build them uh, and, you, and you know how they work. And, you, you know, you're very convinced that they're artificial. But, yeah, in similar ways that we should be convinced of similar things about biological life. But What is quite funny, though, is in Star Wars The Old Republic, so in the original two computer games, there's a character called HK-47, mm. and it's one of these assassination droids you were talking Presum- about. Presumably named for the almost uh, identically named uh, rifle. Yes, yeah. it, is, it is not a coincidence. Um, and, um, yeah, so the first time it's turned on, uh, and it talks to its first master, it comes out with, I see you have purchased me, master. I find this a satisfactory arrangement. Am I to accompany now, you now? Shall I kill something for you? It's, it's literally as yeah. blunt as that. It seems legitimate, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> the am... silly thing about that is, if I was writing HK forty seven, like if I when I was sort of writing its decision making logic, like at the very end of the decision making tree, I would put a statement that's of the form, you know, if my decision was I should give myself away to my master's enemy because that appears to be the best thing for me, then don't do that. No. Uh. <laughs> so it would be a very hard thing to develop a conscience in because I would have just written that, you know, if conscience, then who? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, if, if conscience, then turn off and. You know, Flash up the, you know, you must reboot me now. <laughs> screen in 17 different languages. Yeah, blue screen of death, one morally of, troubled. One <laughs> of the things that did get rewritten in his consciousness verse that he called all humanoids uh, meat bags. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a um there's, there's an attra- attack droid in one of the um Ian Banks culture novels whose name I can almost remember but it's unpronounceable uh, and he's just kind of psychotic and he's uh, he, he he's extremely keen on killing things and there's, there's this one scene where his 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 human master of of a, of a sort who he has not a great deal of respect for says you know help me out here and this robot just goes crazy and just massacres tens of people and well isn't isn't it something Ian Banks says that all battleships because they're all AIs and they're all fully, they're far more intelligent than a person are all psychopathic mm. they mustn't have because you can't make a ship that's designed for killing people without it being a lacking guilt mm. uh, yes. so his, well, they are by definition you'd want to have it to a, have a certain amount of discretion in diplomacy compared to a human being it's more, well no because these are only built during wartime so yeah. they're relics of wars when they lie around and they are they enjoy it far too much it's one of the problems people have with them and they get sort of have to keep them in check huh but they don't get rid of them because that would be you can't just kill something once you've made it. Yeah, well, you'd probably want to keep the keys. You know, this. <laughs> if, <laughs> the, if you built the crazy psychopathic battleship, well, you'd, trouble, you'd probably want to keep the, the trouble the with the culture. Key to its brain. <laughs> is that the ships are building themselves? Humanity, oh. the culture's ships are far more intelligent than humanity. Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting society. I don't really know why they keep us around. Uh, I think that, that it's implied that humans are kind of the uh, the, the AI's playthings. <laughs> which is you know, which which is better than the alternative of them you know get, trying to get rid of us all. Um, 
Yeah. But on the, on the matter of kind of you know ro- robot conscience and these these things which which we have that they don't. Um, another Asimov novel which was made into a, another film, which apparently is surprisingly good, though I haven't seen it. Uh, is it Robin Williams? It is Robin, Robin Williams stars as the um, bicentennial man or um, Andrew, I think is the, the name of the robot, uh, who um, due to a manufacturing defect um, has artistic ability. He, he he can he can sculpt and paint where other robots in this fictional universe. It's it's considered a mistake that he's de- developed these skills, huh. um, and then oh yeah, over the years he 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 battles to be recognised as equi- equal to a human, not just equivalent to, but you know, mm-hmm. to be human. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is and as the title suggests, his long- longevity is one of the barriers to this. Well, it's a barrier, and it sort of helps him because he can has longer to battle for it. Right, 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 right. Mm. That, um, that's why it takes him so long. Is he robot rights? I mean, it's. It is interesting when, you know, do we want to move over to the point where we have robots with longevity? Because it's, it's a way of solving medical problems, you know, because we know how we built them. We then know how to fix them, hopefully. Oh, so this would be where you have sort of a human mind well, to a or, degree well, no, encased within a robot? I'm not even saying that. Robots. I'm saying that you, you let robotic in, electronic intelligence supersede biological yeah. intelligence that's I mean, not really a solution for us though because we'd be the ones designing them well, it doesn't it, solve it, our problems well, no. in the small they do I mean like ro- uh, ro- robots that make cars they're, they're oh, there yeah. because you know these machines can do these, these tiny tedious tasks uh, better than we can and they don't get bored also I'd yeah, argue that my, if my children are synthetic or biological when my children <laughs> are biological is it, you know because yeah, that's sure, where sure, we currently sure. do it yeah. they're not me they are, when I go they're not going to carry on who I am so sure. yeah, okay. I don't see a mass distinction with that and an electronic intelligence it'd be kind of an abdication of the race to a degree of sort of yes. we, we figured this one didn't really work so we made another one oh, it's, uh, that, that one will probably carry on and, and yeah. do roughly what we well, want we to can, do we can leave instructions out to bring us back if we want we're not that complicated to make yeah <laughs> <laughs> And then the robots will be building humans and sort of going, well, you know, we don't think we should really grant this robot rights because, you know, it's it's really just some soup in a jar. So. <laughs> <laughs> I am soupy. Um, yeah, so Will mentioned Zima Blue by Alistair Reynolds earlier. And the book within the collection of short stories of the same title uh, is slightly similar to The Bicentennial Man. It's about... Uh, Zima, isn't it? Is the robot's name? Uh, yes, the, ro- yeah. the, 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 the robot is named Zima, and he is an artist uh, who particularly likes the color blue. Yeah, well, it's this fact that no one, well, originally nobody realized he was a robot, but he was such an augmented human that he was building these massive, he doing these paintings and doing all this artistry, and he was a massive artist. And then by mistake, he put a little blue square on one of his paintings and then got obsessed with his color and started making bigger and bigger blue artworks. Right. And it's it's a very much look at uh, what drives you and what and sort of a full cycle of what it is for him to be an artist as an artificial creature. I I, f- yeah. I, I say I thought it was very clever. I sure. thought it was very clever. And there's no particular reason why you couldn't make a robotic artist, and that their scope for creativity has no limits that it don't also apply to ourselves. Well, the interesting I thing mean, is he started off doing beautiful artwork, so it'd be more like I would think of. Beautiful, beautiful but lifeless is the point. Lifeless, the yeah, it was accurate. It mm. was like in it sort of, and his blue work was almost like the sort of Renaissance painting, what you feel. Mm. Uh, except, of course, it went a bit further into the more sort of just big lumps of blue in space, um, <laughs> which is fine because there, there, there have been whole art movements which are basically you know there, there was one in the, in the Tate Modern which was a white room with uh, red paint splattered on the wall, mm. um, and the artist stood in the middle of the room and just kind of sprayed paint around the room, and it's it's very effective. Yeah, I, I still. <laughs> find it difficult to work out well I think it's all I'm happy it's art but I find it very hard to work out why one artist does well and the other one doesn't and I'm, mm. I'm st- 
I do think it might be PR. <laughs> I think robot artists wouldn't really make art that humans like. Because it wouldn't make any sense to humans. You know, they're not equipped with the same set of uh, of uh, heuristics for measuring the world uh, as we are. Uh, so, you know, we, we like each other's art because it kind of does the same things to our brains as it does to the artist's brain. Uh, See, I don't and, think and that, that wouldn't be does. the case with the robot. So. <laughs> well, no, obviously, yeah, we vary enough. And, we, uh, which is have. why people have different tastes in art. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which probably proves your point. Um, well, the, the, there's the, the, an elephant that can paint pictures. Painted picture of elephants, but sadly, I yeah. think the elephant's trained to paint a picture of an elephant how people see it. Uh, sure, and it, it doesn't. Uh, we we don't know if the elephant particularly likes the art or has just been you know Pavlovian conditioned into doing it. But it picks so. up a paintbrush of its trunk and draws an elephant. It's a great picture. Yeah. You can go and find it if you want. Yeah. Well, th- th- there's a um, there's there's a, a script called Glitchbot which creates uh, which creates artwork by just corrupting other pictures. Sure. Yeah. Which, yeah. which, which works out pretty well. It kind of becomes legitimate synthetic art uh, roughly as soon as where uh, most people confronted with the art wouldn't be able to say, "Oh, that's just this plus this," right. which is not true of many human artists. You know, a lot yep. of people listening to a new number one will go, "Us, oh, he's clearly just listened to this song and this song and kind of mashed them together." So, you know. <laughs> so you're saying number ones are not art? Yeah, yeah. As soon yeah. as you as soon as you evade that level of analysis, then you're kind of legitimately art. Yeah. Well, we haven't got much time left now, so um, we just got a few things to say actually. So we were going to do a sort of side screen science fiction mashup on Monday, so tomorrow. Uh, sadly, however, the movie was going to be Alien, and Fox have withdrawn all rights to the Alien franchise. So we're now doing Doctor Strangelove which isn't going to be science fiction it's going to be a completely different talk Um, but we will be doing it the talk we were going to do instead in June in front of Prometheus so we get a new movie for it hooray Hooray. and of course the movie features synthetics uh, as as is the term for androids in in, in Alien so you know so so there is there's even a link to our topic Um, yeah so uh yeah, do come along to that. I and mean, if you want to come along tomorrow to see a copy of a movie rendition of Doctor Strange Love in the Arts Picture House Cambridge, do because um, it's a good movie. I hear I so it is a very good it. film indeed. It's I, a I, comedy. I haven't seen yeah. it. I, I, I look forward to seeing it when I was expecting to be talking. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll publicise the uh, Prometheus event nearer the time once you can buy tickets. Yes, because uh, obviously the movie isn't even released yet. Anyway, I think that's about all we have time for uh, for th- this week. Um, so. Th- thank you, dear listeners, for listening. Thank you, Chris, for joining us. Thank you. Um, and I, ho- I hope that uh, you don't have any terrifying encounters with Roombas in the near future. <laughs> uh, yeah, keep safe from your Roomba. Make sure you give it the latest updates and um, watch out for emerging sentience. Absolutely. See you next week. <laughs>